So we've been in, in Daniel for several weeks now, and we, we've had the opportunity to, to look at the life of Daniel. And uh, Daniel's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. Just, just a really cool story that, that I think um, parts of it would, would just make a great miniseries, a great movie, a uh, great you know, TV kind of a story, um, you know, lots of drama and, and those kinds of things. But um, you know, we've kind of seen this pattern in Daniel's life of, of really just living a life of obedience to God, plain and simple. Um, you know, Daniel's a stud, right? He, he just, he's lived complete obedience to God, even though it kind of seems like there's always something, you know, working against him, always people conspiring against him. Um, yet he continues to remain faithful and obedient to God. Um, and we, when we started the book of Daniel, Daniel was pretty young. Now we get to Daniel chapter 6, just a few chapters in, into the book, and, and uh, Daniel's been in captivity for about 70 years. So uh, he's an old guy by, by this point. Uh, anybody here o- over 70? Okay. <laughs> you guys carry it well. But, but Dan- so Daniel, he's, he's, he's up there, right? Uh, and he's still in captivity, but God continues to bless him. God continues to give him positions of prominence uh, in the kingdom. And, and kind of this, this theme that we see established starting in chapter 1 when it talks about that Daniel purposed in his heart. Um, we, we see that Daniel continues to purpose in his heart to be obedient to God. Um, his obedience, however, uh, leads to uh, punishment uh, for him, as we're going to find out uh, tonight. And uh, Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, kind of a famous chapter. I'm sure you guys know the story, and I'm sure if some of you guys, have, uh, younger guys, have been in Sunday school, you've heard the story in Sunday school about Daniel in the lion's den. right? <clears throat> king Darius, who, who's king at this point, um, tried to rescue Daniel from the lion's den, and he couldn't even do it. Um, you know, just showing that, that, you know, just our great need for God, that only the king of kings is the one that could deliver Daniel uh, from the harm that was about to befall him. But, but the reality of Daniel's life, you guys, is that he just exemplifies what it means to be in the world, but not of it. You know, we read that scripture, and I don't know if sometimes we, we really grasp what that means, but, but we look at Daniel's life, and we see in the flesh what it means to be in the world, but not of it. Let's go ahead and read Daniel chapter 6. <clears throat> it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was within him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the president and the satraps sought to find ground to complain against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. <clears throat> Verse 6. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, king, establish this injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. When Daniel knew the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. 
Then the king, when he had heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Now, O king, that is the law of the Medes and the Persians, that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And as a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his place and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled before him. Then at the break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives, and before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever, His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. God, as we look into your word tonight, uh, we just ask that you, uh, through the Holy Spirit, would open up our minds, open up our hearts, and give us understanding of what it is that you would want to speak to us tonight. God, help us make application of your word to our lives. Uh, not walking away from here, um, having more things that we need to do for you. But God, just ask that your word would, would penetrate our hearts. Uh, Lord, so that, that uh, the only thing that we can do in response to you and in response to understanding of your word is to live lives in complete obedience to you. God, we thank you for the book of Daniel. We thank you that, that we can look at Daniel as an example. Um, God, we thank you that, that uh, you've given us this part in Scripture. Uh, be with us tonight as we open your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool story, huh? Like I said, make, make for a great movie. And uh, maybe somebody has made a movie and they just haven't seen it. But uh, uh, I'm going to look at a few different things tonight. But, but at the beginning of, of Daniel chapter 6, we kind of open the chapter with um, the plot. Right, um, the satraps, the rulers, and, and the satraps. Just so you know, they, they were provincial rulers. They were rulers over provinces, and and over these satraps were three presidents. Uh, Daniel was one of these three presidents that were over uh, the rulers of the provinces. So, so Daniel was pretty high up uh, in in the food chain, so to speak. And and we read that the king was about to put Daniel over everything. Right, he was going to be the top dog. And so these satraps um, decided this didn't rest well with them. They became uh, envious, they became jealous, whatever you want to call it. And so they began to plot uh, against Daniel. Um, they began to make this plan. And, and, and I just love how it says that they, they couldn't find any fault with Daniel. They couldn't, they couldn't find anything to bring against him. And they, they finally just came to, to the resolve that the only way that we're going to get Daniel is if we do something concerning the law of his God to put him in a position where he's going to have to make a decision of who do I obey, my, my God or my king. Uh, and that was the only way, the only way they could find any, any fault with Daniel. And, you know, I think we can look at that and, and take stock of our own lives. You know, the, the Bible tells us that, that we should live lives to where people cannot accuse us of, of doing anything wrong, that we should live exemplary lives, that we should live lives worthy of the gospel, it says in another place. 
Um, and, and Daniel certainly, um, you know, by all accounts, lived a life worthy of the gospel and lived the kind of life where uh, there was just no wrong to be found with him. Uh, is that to say Daniel's perfect? No. You know, you, you and I know there, there's only one perfect man that ever walked this earth, and it wasn't Daniel, right? It was Jesus. Um, so, so Daniel certainly wasn't perfect, but from what these guys could see, that they could find no fault with him. So, so they began to make this plan to make this plot. And so what they did is they went to the king and they said, okay, King Darius. And, and I love how they just keep repeating, you know, oh, king, oh, king, right? It's like, you know, they're kind of brown nosed and sweet talking the king. Um, and they, so they, they come up with this plan. Hey, let's make a decree. Let's make a law that says that nobody can worship any other God for the next 30 days except for you, right? And what was the king's response? Sweet, right? That doesn't sound like a bad deal if you're king, right? Everybody's going to be worshiping me. Everybody's going to be focusing on me. So as the king, you know, why would he say no to that, right? And, and so these satraps and these rulers convinced the king to put this decree uh, into effect. And so the king signed the paperwork. So this plot that was against Daniel, um, it kind of thickens at this point once, once the pen goes to the paper, right? Now Daniel is shortly going to be put in a position of making the decision. Obey God, obey my king, right? And um, one of the things we've been talking about you know, in, in, in youth group lately, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we've been looking at the life of Abraham. And we've been talking a lot uh, for the last several weeks about uh, faith, about righteousness, about obedience, and just about how all that stuff kind of ties together. Like you've got to have one to have the other, right? They're not really these independent things, um, and, and so we've been looking that, at that uh, just through the, the story uh, of Abraham. And, and last night, uh, we have Bible study on Tuesday nights. Last night we looked at um, Genesis chapter 22, and it was the birth of Isaac. And, and if you guys have ever read through Genesis, um, you know, God makes this promise to Abraham early on that um, he's going to make a great nation out of him. And God makes a promise that his descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky or as numerous as, as the sand on the shore. And um, we come into some problems where um, Sarah, Abraham's wife, is not able to have children. <clears throat> and so it makes it difficult for them to, to trust in the promise that God has given them. Some time goes by, uh, they decide to, to make it happen on their own, and you guys know the story of, of uh, Abraham and Hagar, and then they had, had a son, Ishmael, uh, who was really an illegitimate son of Abraham, um, because they tried to make come to fruition God's promise in their own power and their own strength. Some more time elapses, and pretty soon um, it gets more complicated. Not, not only is Sarah not able to have kids, but, but Abraham and Sarah are getting old. Right? And God, over and over again, I don't know how many times, but several times we read this promise of God to Abraham that he's going to make a great nation out of him and that he's going to have uh, the son that, that God promised him. But as the more time goes by, the more things that are working against Abraham, the more things that are working against Sarah. So, so kind of by the time Isaac is, is born, um, they're old, 99 and 100 years old. Abraham's 100, she's 99. And... Even if she was younger, she still had the issue of barrenness. Uh, but God, because of who he is, um, you know, the Bible says that God is faithful in, in 2 Timothy. Even when we remain faithless, uh, God's promise came to fruition and Isaac was born. What happens next after Isaac's born? That, that was in chapter 21. Now chapter 22, God tells Abraham, I want you to take Isaac up the mountain and I want you to sacrifice him as a burnt offering. And we don't really read that Abraham had a problem with this. I don't know if he did or not, but, but the Bible doesn't say that he did. What the Bible says is that, that God said, take Isaac, take him up the mountain, sacrifice him as a burnt offering to me. And the next thing that we read is that Abraham called his servants and said, load up the donkey and split some wood. We, we're going to go, right? And he, and he just did it just in this incredible moment of, of obedience in Abraham's life. And he did it. And, and you guys know the story that, that God provided a sacrifice uh, that wasn't Isaac. Um, you know, and I don't think that story is in the Bible for us to look at and say, you know, sometimes God asks us to do hard things. Um, does God sometimes ask us to do hard things? Yeah, he does. Um, and, and, you know, does God require that of us sometimes? Yeah, he does. But, but, but I don't think that story of Abraham is there for us to look at that and say, okay, sometimes I just have to grin and bear it. 
or I have to white knuckle it and do this hard thing that, that, that God wants me to do. You know, we, we looked at Abraham and the question that we asked was, why in the world was Abraham obedient to God when God asked him to do that? Why did he do it? I don't know about you, but if that was me in Abraham's position, I, I probably would have said, what? You want me to do what? But God, this is the son you promised me. Why do you want me to do that? That's a fair question, right? Why? There's been all this buildup of, of years, years and years of buildup and years and years of God making this promise and it finally comes together and then God tells him to go do what? To sacrifice the son that you promised me, that you've been promising me for years and years? I think why is a fair question. <clears throat> but again, we just see this incredible moment in Abraham's life where he's just obedient to God. And, and he does what God tells him to do. And, 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 of course, the story has a happy ending. Another story that would make a great movie. Uh, it just has a happy ending because God provides another sacrifice. Um, and, and it was a test to Abraham. Um, but do you, do you think that God wasn't sure where Abraham's obedience was? Do you think that God didn't know where Abraham's faith lied? Was the test for God's benefit? I, I don't think so. I, I don't think God was sitting in heaven... And just wondering, hmm, that Abraham, he does most of what I ask him to do. I, 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 wonder, I wonder if he's really faithful. I, I don't think God was asking that question. I think God knew. So I don't think the test was for God's benefit. I think the test was for Abraham's benefit. right? And, and if you're Abraham and you come away from something like that, in that moment, you know that you know that you know that God is the most important thing in your life. You know where your allegiance lies. You know where your obedience is. You know where your faith is in that moment, right? And so it was this benefit for Abraham, right? And really it's a picture of the gospel message to you and I, right? Because there was one greater than Abraham, one that came after Abraham, who sacrificed his only son as well, right? And we can easily connect that dot to the gospel message, but, but, but here we are in the book of Daniel, and, and, and we see Daniel uh, from the time he was a young boy um, being obedient to God. Being obedient to God, just simply living a life in obedience to God. And, and the question that, that, that I've been asking myself today is, is why? Why would Daniel, taken into captivity as a young boy, taken to a foreign land, um, basically starting off in prison, um, why would he be obedient to God? You know, how many times in our lives do difficulties happen? Right? We, we, in our culture, it's probably not really realistic to think that, that at least right now, that we're going to get thrown in prison because of our faith. Right? It's probably not realistic to think that any of us are, are going to have a brush with the lion's den. Just not part of our, our society, part of our culture. Um, but how many times in our lives do, do difficult things come up um, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, um, some kind of devastation. Uh, and, and how does that impact the way that we view God? How does that impact our relationship with God? Right? And, and I've been there. You know, I've had difficulties in, in my life. And, and it's natural sometimes for us to, to wonder, why me, God? Why do I have to deal with this? Right? Especially when we can see other people who are not dealing with the types of difficulties that we are. And, and it's really easy for us to, to just cry, it's not fair. Right? Why me? Why not them? Why do I deserve this? Why don't they deserve it? And, and, and we don't see that in Daniel's life. We just see from the beginning of the book in chapter 1 that Daniel purposed in his heart to be obedient to God. And that's exactly the way that he lives his life. And so here we've, you know, up to chapter 6, we get about this 70-year glimpse of Daniel's life. Right? It's not like we just look at a couple years of his life, but we're looking at really almost his whole life here. Um, the 70-year glimpse of his life to see for 70 years he's, he's lived a life being faithful to God. He's lived a life being obedient to God. That's a pretty cool thing. And I hope that, that by the time I get... Uh, to that stage of life when I get 
um, you know, in the later years of my life that people can look at me and say, yeah, Chad, he's lived a, a faithful life. I hope you guys, that people can look at you and say, yeah, you've lived a, a faithful life. You've lived a life in faithfulness and obedience to God. I want to, I want to read a story, to, just a short story um, to you guys. I, uh, uh, I got this book. It's called Tortured for Christ, and it's by a guy named Richard Wormbrand. I don't know if you guys have ever read this, but... Uh, um, a few different blogs I follow were, were talking about this book about five or six months ago, and um, one of the blogs had to you know sign up to receive our newsletter and you get a free copy of the book. And I'd never heard of it, never heard of this guy, but hey, free book, I'll take a free book. So, so I signed, and I got the book in the mail, and it's been sitting on my desk for you know the last five or six months. I just haven't cracked it open. And um, just was talking to a friend of mine last week, and um, not knowing that I had this book, he just asked me, he's like, "Hey, have you ever read this book called Tortured for Christ?" Oh, yeah, I have that book, but I haven't read it. He's like, dude, you got to read it. He goes, I, I read this in two days. I couldn't put it down. And so today, just as I'm you know, making preparations for tonight, just thinking, hey, maybe there's something in this book that would kind of correlate, maybe serve as a good illustration for the book of Daniel. Daniel, get thrown in the lion's den. So um, I haven't read the whole book, but, but I just kind of read through a couple chapters today uh, as I'm sitting in Starbucks. I go down there and work sometimes with my laptop and... So I'm sitting in Starbucks and I'm reading this and, and I'll tell you what, um, you know, I'm, I'm not an emotional guy, but like I just began to cry as I'm reading this book and uh, sitting in, and not just like a little trickle down the cheek, but like I'm just like bawling in Starbucks this afternoon. Nobody was there, uh, thankfully, but I'm just like bawling in Starbucks as I'm reading some of these stories of, of people who are tortured for the sake of the gospel. And, you know, we can read accounts of, you know, Daniel and the lions and it's hard for us to relate because... You know, like I said before, it's not really part of our culture or our society, or it's not really realistic to expect that that could be us in that exact situation. Um, but the guy that wrote this, um, don't know much about him, but just what little I've read today, he spent, uh, I think, almost 15 years, two different stints uh, in prison, uh, I think mostly in Romania. But he was part of an underground church, um, I think back in the 50s from what I can gather. So... You know, this is stuff that's happened, you know, within some of our lifetimes that we read about. This is stuff really, it's kind of relatively recently happened. Um, And so part of the underground church in Romania, and because uh, of his obedience to God, um, spent some time in in prison, eight and a half years in one stint, and I I think six or seven years in another stint that he spent in prison. And so this is one of the people that he spent uh, some time with in prison. It says, one of our workers in the underground church was a young girl. The communist police discovered that she secretly spread gospels and taught children about Christ. They decided to arrest her, but to make the arrest as agonizing and painful as they could, they decided to delay her arrest a few weeks until the day she was to be married. On her wedding day, the girl was dressed as a bride, the most wonderful, joyous day in a girl's life. Suddenly, the door burst open and the secret police rushed in. The bride saw the secret police. She held out her arms toward them to be handcuffed. They roughly put manacles on her wrist, and she looked towards her beloved and then kissed the chains and said, I thank my heavenly bridegroom for this jewel he has presented to me on my marriage day. I thank him that I am worthy to suffer for him. She was dragged off with weeping Christians and a weeping bridegroom left behind. They knew what happens to young Christian girls in the hands of communist guards, Her bridegroom faithfully waited for her. After five years, she was released, a destroyed, broken woman looking 30 years older. She said it was the least she could do for her Christ. Such beautiful Christians are in the underground church. This this goes on to to talk about those kinds of stories where people are just brutally, brutally tortured. At one point, the author even says... um, I can't even, you know, what he shared has been pretty graphic, but he says, I, I, I can't share any more graphic detail because I won't be able to sleep at night if I share more with you as, as to what's happened. Um, just incredible. And, and, and I look at that and just think, why? If, I, if I'm that girl in that situation and that happens to me, I, I don't know that I would have that perspective. I guarantee I wouldn't have that perspective in in that moment, right? It'd be hard not to be to be mad at God. Why me? It's not fair. But to have that incredible perspective of 
Thank you, God, for, for giving me this jewel, right? What incredible perspective. And this is the kind of perspective that we see in the life of Daniel, right? John fifteen eighteen. you don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. But it says this, it says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I say to you, that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Right? We don't really deal with persecution here in America. As a matter of fact, um, we avoid it. And I'll tell you, probably our, our definition, if we all went around the room and said, what does it mean to be persecuted? I'm sure our definition would, would greatly differ from some of these people in the underground church. Right? We, we might define persecution as um, people making fun of us because we go to church. We might define persecution as, um, you know, I don't get along with my neighbor because he knows I'm a Christian. Right? We might define persecution as the guys at work really don't like me because they, they don't feel comfortable cussing around me. Right? Those are the kinds of things that we might consider to be persecution. Right? Meanwhile, on the other side of the world, you have young brides getting dragged away on their wedding day and thanking God for the opportunity to suffer for the sake of the gospel. It, it, those two things don't, don't even add up. They don't even add up. So, so I think when we read this story of Daniel, we've got to look at um, the incredible perspective that, that Daniel had. Right, the incredible perspective that, that he had in the midst of a difficult life. Right? Yeah, Daniel was in prominent positions and he probably lived in a nice house and he probably ate good food because of, of the job that he had. He was a prominent guy. But don't forget, he's in captivity. Daniel's still in captivity at over 70 years old. Right? I don't know how, he, how old he is at this point. He's probably over 80. Right? He's still in captivity taken away from his, his homeland, right? So even though he's got this prominent position, this killer job with probably killer benefits, he's still in captivity. He still has people out to get him, still has people um, not just trying to make his life difficult, but people really trying to kill him, right? How many of us have people trying to kill us? Probably, we probably don't, right? And here's Daniel having people trying to, to take his life, trying to, to bring him to an end, and, and he just has this incredible perspective of purposing in his heart to follow God no matter what the cost. <clears throat> so this decree comes out. Nobody can worship any other God or pray to any other God except for King Darius for 30 days. And what does Daniel do in that moment? In verse 10 it says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. It just became illegal to pray to God under penalty of death. And what does Daniel do? He goes home and he prays to God. And not in the basement where nobody can see him, but in his upper room with the windows open, facing towards Jerusalem, and, and not only once, but three times a day. In plain sight of everyone. I don't think anybody would have faulted Daniel if he would have went down in the basement or if he would have closed the windows and, and drawn the curtains. That's what I would have done, right? Probably what most of you guys would have done. Probably in that moment, we, we probably wouldn't stop praying just because it was illegal. We'd probably just do it in secret. It makes sense. It's justifiable. Right? Can't pray if I'm dead, so just close the curtains and let's pray. <laughs> right? Not Daniel. He goes upstairs where his windows are open. Everybody can see, and, and he openly prays to God three times a day. And, and then we get this, this little kind of glimpse into Daniel's habits where it says, as he had previously done. This wasn't a new thing for Daniel. So he, he wasn't doing this just to defy the law. 
right? If he had never done this before, we could read that and say, okay, he was just trying to defy the law. But we see that this was his pattern. See that it was his habit, it was his lifestyle, it was the way that he lived. And so when the law of the land changed, he continued to live in obedience to God. He continued with his pattern, he continued with his habit. And you guys, it would be easy to look at this and and for me to stand up here and say, Daniel prayed so we all have to pray. And that's true. That's a true statement. Right? Daniel prayed no matter the cost, and so we should pray no matter the cost. And that's a true statement. That's a true statement, but I don't think that's the point of what's going on here. It's absolutely true. We, we do need to prioritize prayer in our lives. We need to make it a, a habit. We need to make it part of our lifestyle. Absolutely. I'm not saying that we don't need to, so don't, don't mis, misunderstand that. We absolutely should, and Daniel is a great example uh, to follow uh, as far as a guy who, who made prayer a priority three times a day. Right? But, but I love where it says also um, in verse 10 towards the end, it says, He prayed and he gave thanks before his God. Well, what would you and I do if all of a sudden it became illegal to pray? So we'd probably still pray, probably do it, do it behind closed doors. But, but who, who here would go thank God that it's illegal to pray? I, I don't think I would. I, I would probably pray God change the law, <laughs> right? It, you know, be you know, waging war against the powers of darkness who are trying to, to keep us from prayer, right? And all of a sudden we would have this, this political issue that Christians would band together and we'd, we'd write our congressmen, right, to, to make it okay to pray again. Right, and we we go on the, the political home front to probably try to get that changed. But but what does Daniel do? He thanks God. Now, that almost doesn't compute with me. I mean, I get it, but but I just wouldn't. I don't think I would do that in that moment. It's just my my wicked heart, right? And in probably most of us in that moment, probably the last thing on our mind would be to to thank God. Right, but, but as I read that, again, it's just this incredible perspective of Daniel. would have been easy for Daniel to, to get upset at the king, that the king signed this thing into law. would have been easy for Daniel to, to focus his prayers on, you know, God, take the, take the king out of office, right? Um, you know, how, how many of us, you know, at, at different times, um, you know, have prayed that about a president, past or present? Um, you know, God, get that guy out of office. He's ruining everything, right? Um, maybe some of us have prayed that lately. Here's Daniel giving thanks to God. That, that blows me away. I mean, I don't have a lot to say about that. It just blows me away that that would be Daniel's perspective is to give thanks to God. So I think the thing that we've got to take from Daniel as we read through this um, is his, the perspective that, that he has. And, and why does he have that perspective, maybe, is, is the, the better question. right? Why does Daniel have the perspective that he has? And, and, and here's why I believe that Daniel has this perspective. right? We, we know, you guys, that, that this world is temporary. And we know that heaven is eternal. We, we know that in our heads. We have the head knowledge of that, but, but has that penetrated our lives? Because if it has, I, I, I think we would have lives that look a lot like this guy Daniel. That we would just have a different perspective than we do if that knowledge goes beyond just, just having the knowledge in our head. First John 2.15 says this. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world or the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes and the pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with his desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Right? You guys think about that. The, the desires of the flesh, right? Pretty easy to, to kind of think about what, what those kinds of things would be. The, the desires of the eyes, pretty easy to think about what those things would be as well. And, and pride and possessions. Right? Our houses, our cars, our toys. 
you know, not bad to have those things, but how easily do, do we get wrapped up in those things, right? The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride in possession, those things are not from the Father, it says. And it says that if we love those things, then the love of the Father isn't in us. Right? We, we just, uh, here's a few months back in the youth group, studied through 1 John, and, and we looked at some of those things that, like, that, that sounds pretty harsh. Right? 1 John, is, it's a pretty black and white book. Right? It says you, you can't, if, you, if you don't love your brother, if you hate your brother, then you don't love God. Right? Like those kind of black and white things. You know, 1 John says if, if you're not obedient to God, you don't love God. Right? It's just, just cut and dry. And, and here, just you know, one more time, if you love the things of the world, then, then you don't love God. Right? And it's kind of harsh to read that. Right? And, and if you're like me, you're thinking, but, but wait a minute. I love God. I, I, I kind of like these things too, but oh, I really I love God. Right? I, I like my house, but, but I love God. Right? I, 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 like, I like my family. I even love my family, but oh, but I love God. Right? But, but the Bible's pretty black and white that, that says if we love the things of the world, that, that we don't love God. Right? I'm not saying that we can't love our families. We should love our families. Right? I'm not saying that um, you know, we shouldn't live in houses and drive cars and have boats. And I'm not, not saying that at, at all. But if those are the things that dictate the way that we live our lives, if our jobs are the thing that dictates the way that we live our lives, the, the Bible clearly says that if we love those things, that the love of God isn't in us. Right, Daniel had this perspective of world temporary, heaven eternal. You tell me what makes sense for us to, to live our lives. If we believe that's true, if we believe that this world is temporary and we believe that this world and everything in it is going to go away, and if we believe that, that God is eternal and if we believe, like the Bible tells us, that, that if we've surrendered our lives to him, that we're going to spend eternity with him, does it make sense to live for our jobs? Does it make sense to live for our things? Does it make sense to live for our families and to have those things be the things that dictate our decisions, to have those things be the things that dictate how we spend our money? I don't, if we believe this, I don't think it makes sense. And, and I think we see this exemplified in Daniel's life. Nothing made sense except for him to, to be obedient to God. That's the only thing that made sense. Otherwise, why would he go home and pray the, the, the moment that it became illegal to pray? Like I said, this was his pattern. It wasn't, wasn't something that in that moment he just decides, I'm going to defy the law and do this. I'm going to make a stand. That, that wasn't it. This was his pattern. And he just continued living life the way that he lived before it became illegal to pray. He just continued doing what he was already doing. Because of, of his perspective, it's the only thing that made sense. And so ultimately, that led to Daniel's punishment. Right? We've seen that the people have plotted against Daniel. We, we've seen that Daniel has, has purpose in his heart to be obedient to God. And, and we see that those things ultimately lead to Daniel's punishment. Right? He gets thrown into a lion's den. I don't know if anybody watched the Discovery Channel. You guys ever watched the, the National Geographic Channel? Um, you know, when, when they, they have these animal shows, the animal kingdom type shows, and you see like lions. Okay, lions are not nice and cuddly, right? Especially hungry lions, they're, they're not nice and cuddly, right? They're vicious. And, and here's Daniel getting ready to get thrown into this den of lions. I don't know how many lions were down there, but one would be enough, right? And, and there was more than one. And, and he was going to get thrown into this den of lions. And you know, we, we read about, about King Darius in verse 14 that he labored to rescue Daniel. At, at this point, King Darius had not come, come to faith. He was not a believer. But even he couldn't find a fault in Daniel, and so he labored to rescue him, it says. And he couldn't rescue him. Even the king, the, the, the top dog, the king of the land, was powerless in this moment to rescue Daniel. Was powerless to rescue Daniel, and so Daniel got thrown into the lion's den. And we read that King Darius he didn't sleep that night. 
because he was he was worried, right? He he didn't like the situation, but he couldn't do anything to change it. And, and you guys, just in this little bit right here that we read about this, we see just another picture of the gospel. King Darius, who was a powerful king, huge kingdom, right? He he couldn't rescue Daniel. He couldn't redeem Daniel from the situation. And 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 the way that we see the gospel in that is that you know we're all in situations where we need to be redeemed. And when we have a king that is able to redeem us, right? The king of kings. And so we just see here in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, just a picture of what that points to, a picture of the gospel message. And that, that's incredible that we see this. But, but another part of, of Daniel's perspective, I believe, is that understanding that suffering is temporary, but joy is eternal. Listen to this. This is Paul speaking in, in Philippians chapter 1. He says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to, par- to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. All right? You've got to understand, when, when Paul writes this, Okay, Paul lived a brutal life. From the time that, that, that Paul surrendered his life to Jesus, life got way more difficult for him in a hurry. Right, And, and you guys who have been here on Sunday mornings as we've studied through the book of Acts, you know the kind of difficulties that Paul faced. Right, Gets beat every time he turns around. He gets thrown in jail everywhere he goes. Right, People are against him everywhere he goes. Right, and, and we read in, in Corinthians, I believe, where Paul talks about that he you know, goes days without food. Right, Just these difficult, difficult things. And for him to say, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, understand what he's saying here. What he's saying is that if I were to die right now, if my life were to come to an end, this misery and this suffering would stop and I would be in heaven with Jesus. That would be incredible. Right? And, and I think we would all agree with that. I think we would all probably have that perspective that, that Paul did. Even though you know, most of us here, in comparison, our, our lives are not that difficult right here in America. But I think we would all share in that perspective that if life on this earth were to come to an end tonight, and we would be in heaven with Jesus, that, that of course that would be to our gain. But I think the, the, the difficult part, the, the part where we have difficulty sharing in, in Paul's perspective is the to, to live as Christ part. Because what Paul's saying here, again, is, is, is if I were to die now, this suffering would come to an end, this misery would come to an end, and it would be better for me. But for me to continue on living is fruitful for you. It means that I get to share the gospel with you. It means fruitful labor for the sake of Christ, for the sake of you. And I think that's, we're all on board with the to, to die as gain part, but to the live to live as Christ, that's a little bit more challenging to read that and to share that perspective of Paul. That for me to continue on in this life of misery, for me to continue on in this life of suffering, for me to continue on in this life of difficulty, means fruitful labor for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. What incredible perspective is that? Right, I'm just thinking about this for me. Right, how, how much of my life, how, how often am I willing to take on difficulty for the sake of somebody else? Not, not really that often. Right? Maybe if it's somebody that I, maybe if it's a good friend, maybe I'll do a difficult thing for their sake. Maybe somebody I don't know. Forget about it. Why would I do some? Why you know? Why would I make my life more difficult for the sake of somebody who I don't even know, right? Somebody I may not even care about. Why would I do that? Yet this is what we see with Paul, because he had the same perspective of Daniel that this suffering is temporary, but but the joy that only comes from Christ is eternal. And you guys, if we share in that perspective. If we share in the perspective of Paul, if we share in the perspective of Daniel, 
I think our lives, and this is for me too, I think our lives would look different probably than they do now. I think they might look radically different if we shared in that perspective. Yet, if you guys are like me, you know, we avoid difficulty at great cost. Right? I've, I've kind of realized for, for me, and this was just something that, that the Lord convicted me of a, a few weeks back. Um, I've done a great job my whole life of, of living a life that's at peace inside the church and living a life that's at peace outside the church. I've done a great job of that. But, but I don't know that that's a good thing. I don't know that that's the way that God would have it. Right? I've, lived a, I've done a great job in my life of not offending people with the message of the cross. Probably you guys have too, if you're anything like me. Right? We can't offend people because you know, our whole point is to draw people in. And so if we, we, we offend people, we, that pushes them away. So we can't do that. Right? And so, so we don't do it at, at a high cost. But for me, the thing I've come to realize for me is that, that, that I don't share in that perspective of this suffering is temporary, but joy is eternal. I don't share. I, I, I read that. I agree with it. I know it in my head. But I don't share that perspective. It hasn't sunk into my heart. That whatever suffering God would have me go through, whether it be small or whether it be big, it's just temporary in, in the, the grand scheme, the grand comparison of eternity. As we've been looking at this discipleship, you know, with, with the men and with the women, and as we've realized that it's just the way, plain and simple, that God has chosen to spread his word is through the making of disciples. It's not rocket science, Right? God didn't put it in the Bible to, to go out and do big events. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do big events. I'm not saying they're, they're wrong or bad, so don't, don't hear that. But, but what God said is to, to go make disciples. This is how I've chosen to spread my word. It says in 2 Corinthians 5 that it's, it's how he's chosen to make his appeal through us. Right? And if you take that out of Scripture, you guys, if that's not there, do you realize that there, there's nothing else in Scripture that gives us as believers, purpose for being on this earth. There's nothing else in Scripture that gives us purpose for living life on this earth. There's nothing else in Scripture that that would keep us from just being transported to heaven the moment that we come to faith in Christ. Except that God has chosen to use us to make disciples. He's chosen to use us to spread His Word. It's our purpose and along with that can come suffering. Along with that can come difficulty. Right? We just read the scripture in John that because they hated me, they're going to hate you. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Right? Jesus, there's a reason that Jesus tells us, don't be surprised. Right? When was the last time that, that, that you were persecuted? When, the last, when was the last time I was persecuted? Right? Probably if you're like me, you're, you're struggling to think of a moment when I was persecuted. Right? I can't think, I, I don't know when the last time it was that, that I was persecuted or that I suffered for the sake of the gospel. And it's because I don't have this perspective that suffering is temporary and that joy is eternal. Right? But Daniel, Daniel had that perspective. And ultimately we see that as, that as Daniel is in the lion's den... But ultimately, God protects him. God protects him from the lions. Kind of cool that we see King Darius, right? He gets up in the morning in verse 19, and, he, and the first thing he does is he wants to come out and he looks for Daniel. Wants to make sure that Daniel's okay. Right? And I don't know if you, you picked up on this, but the king it says a few different times, has, has your God whom you continually serve delivered you? Right? You know, it makes reference to the fact that your God who you continually serve. Right? That was Daniel's reputation. It was Daniel's lifestyle that, that, again, he just lived a life of obedience. He continually served God. And that was the thing that was known of Daniel, is that he continually served God. 
right? Going back to the beginning of the chapter, that, that's why, that's why they, they plotted the way that they did because Daniel continually served God and they knew that if they were going to trip him up, it was going to be in his service to God. And so here at the end of the chapter, we see the king, King Darius, making reference to Daniel continually serving God. Right, so God protected, he protected Daniel. And only did he protect Daniel, but, but justice was served that day, right? All of Daniel's accusers, they were rounded up, they were gathered up, and they were thrown into the lion's den. And not only them, but their wives and their children, right? Pretty harsh, pretty brutal. And it says before they hit the ground, right, the lions, they ate them. Right? Can you imagine? I mean, just get that picture in your mind. Kind of a, it's a horrid picture, but these lions just devoured Daniel's accusers, their wives and their children, before they even hit the ground. And so, so God served justice that day. And so we see God protecting Daniel. And through God protecting Daniel, it ultimately led to the persuasion of King Darius. King Darius came to faith that day. Right? So in the beginning of the chapter, we see King Darius putting out this decree. Everybody worship me for the next 30 days. Everybody worship me. And here at the end of the chapter, what is the decree that he puts out? He says, I make a decree in verse 26 that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So we see the sharp contrast of King Darius from from beginning to end. Right? And simply because of the way that Daniel lived his life, simply because of his obedience to God, we see God's hand at work and and we see that ultimately lead to uh, King Darius coming to faith in God. I just want to end with uh, with this. As I mentioned to you guys before in, in the youth group, we've been looking at Abraham. We've been trying to connect some dots between faith, between righteousness, between obedience. Listen to this. This is John 3.36. You don't have to turn there. It's just one verse, but listen to this. It says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Here's the, the connecting of the dots between faith and obedience right here. If you believe in the Son, in other words, if you have faith in Jesus, you have eternal life. But if you don't obey, the wrath of God remains on you. So there's correlation between obedience and, and between faith. Right? And, and, and we know, we know that, that we don't work our way to heaven. We know that, that God isn't pleased with us because of the things that we do. Right? We're not going to get into all that tonight about faith and works. But, but we know that the things we do do not earn us favor with God. But the things that we do, our obedience to God serves as proof of our faith. Right? And we see that in Daniel. Daniel's obedience... The way that he lived his life served as proof of where his faith lied. Right? And every single one of us, you guys, we, every single one of us lives what we believe. Every single one of us. Right? The, the question I think we have to be real with ourselves and ask is, am I real about what I believe? Am I real about what I believe? Right? Because we say we believe a lot of things. But, but do we really live in obedience and the things that we say that we believe. Probably for, for a lot of us, we, we, there's a difference between what we say we believe and, and what our life would say that we believe, right? And so we see this exemplified in Daniel that, that his obedience is just proof of his faith and the same is true for you and I. Our obedience is proof of our faith, right? But, but again, even in that, we, we see the, the gospel message because... There was one greater than Daniel that came after Daniel whose obedience, right? Jesus' obedience by going to the cross, it's what saved you and me, right? We read about Daniel's obedience. Okay, good story. 
serves as a good example. I can learn some things from that. I can, we can take some application from that. Right? Daniel's obedience. But, but Jesus, his obedience in, in dying on the cross, his obedience in following the, the will of the Father. Right? You guys remember the scene in, in the garden. Jesus prayed before he got arrested. Right? And what does he say? God, is there any other way? Right? I don't want to do this in my flesh. Please, if there's another way, tell me now. Right? But not, not, not my will, your will. Right? So, so the thing we've got to take away from tonight, you guys, and, and we're going to pray and we'll be done, is that um, what does your obedience prove? Does your obedience prove your faith in God, or, or does your obedience prove faith in something else? And, and I've been asking myself this question you know, all day today. It's like, what, what does my obedience prove? I hope that my obedience to God proves that I love Him. I, I hope. But, but if I'm real... There's days where that's probably not true. There's, there's days where it might be true, but there's also days where it might not be true. And so as you look at Daniel, you guys be, be challenged, and, and not only challenged, but be convicted by the Holy Spirit of, of living lives that, that, that are in obedience to God. And I don't want you guys to walk away from here Thinking, okay, I have to do this hard thing, this difficult thing. Because it's hard. It's hard to obey God. Right? And we talked about this last night with, with the kids too. But like, it's kind of easy in the little things. Right? I don't really steal, so like, I don't really have a hard time with that one. Right? Like, that's an easy one. Right? Loving people, uh, that, that's a little bit more difficult. Right? I have a hard time with that. And, and so you know, some things are easy, some things are hard. I don't want you to walk away from here thinking, i, I just I got to grin and bear it. i got to white knuckle it. And, and i got to do this difficult thing. Um, or even walk away from here thinking, I can't do this difficult thing. Right? The Bible tells us in Philippians um, that it's God who works in us to will and to do. It's God that works in us to will and to do. So our will, our desire to obey God, it, it doesn't come from deep down within. We have it because God gives it to us. Right? And how many times do we think, it's like, okay, I've I got to dig down deep. i got, I got to reach in, reach into my soul, right? And, you know, uh, i got to obey. I don't want to obey, but I, but I have to. So, so we dig down deep, to, and, and oftentimes we're, we're looking for something that's not there. And it's not there because we're not capable of producing it. I can't produce obedience. You can't produce obedience. It's simply a byproduct of understanding who God is, understanding who, who you are, who I am, apart from Him, understanding His graciousness, my sin, and coming to the point to say that the only way I know how to respond to that understanding is God to live for you. That's how we obey God. Not, not, not because of our own effort, our own strength, our own will. It's God who works in us to will and to do. Let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. and God, thank you that, that it is you that works in us to will and to do. God, thank you that we don't have to depend on ourselves to, to dig deep in those difficult moments, to live lives that, that honor you, that glorify you, to live lives in obedience to you. God, thank you that, that Jesus did the things that, that we could never do, the things that we're not capable of doing. God, thank you that we can read through the Old Testament and we can see uh, pictures of the gospel message, uh, even in, in the book of Daniel and in the story uh, of Daniel in the lion's den. And God, thank you for... Just the example that, that we read about of Daniel's obedience. But more than that, God, thank you uh, for the example of Jesus and his obedience. And God, how that um, has impacted our lives and how it's made available to us uh, the way to salvation. God, I pray that as we walk away from here tonight that we wouldn't just be thinking, um, man, I have to obey God. I have to try harder to obey God. Uh, but God, that we would walk away from here 
um, just being convicted of by the Holy Spirit of other areas in our lives where we have put our faith uh, that are not you. And God, for those of us that are here that have have put our faith uh, in our jobs, God, convict us of that. For those of us that are here tonight that have put our faith in our stuff, God, convict us of that. God, for those of us that are here tonight that have put our faith in ourselves, God, convict us of that through the Holy Spirit and bring us to a point, God, where our faith is nowhere else but in you. God, thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the teaching ministry at Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Primeville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write us at P.O. Box 378, Primeville, Oregon, 97754. Or check us out further at our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you.